Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I am your host, Frank Trois, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. Joining me on the show are market participants ranging from hedge funds to fintech, and as diverse and eclectic a group as winemakers and priests. All of us, like you, asking the same question we all do when we turn on the TV nowadays, why? Unhedged is a weekly podcast, and on occasion a bi-weekly podcast, based on the subject matter. You can subscribe to Unhedged through iTunes. As always, your feedback is appreciated, both good and bad. So let's get started. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to SohoCap.com slash Unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello, and welcome back to Unhedged. And here we are for our third segment with Ahmed. Ahmed, again, thank you for coming back with us. It's a pleasure. <coughs> you know what? Uh, while we were uh, offline there uh, in between segments, you actually were sharing several anecdotes that I thought were were perfect. And I'm wondering if, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing them again with, with our users, because given your global profile, you have a chance to talk to different types of investors with different nationalities. What, what are some of the funnier stories that you've seen in terms of, you know, how do folks now perceive the U.S. and the U.K. and, and you know, how are they perceiving democracy? So um, I'll share you the funny and then go back to CS1. On, on the Monday after the results of the referendum were announced, we were closing a transaction to selling a business to a, a Chinese company. And Chuck, the iBank from New York, starts the call saying, hey, on behalf of the whole of America, can I thank the UK to prove that there's one nation that's more stupid than America? And we said, why is that, wow. Chuck? And he said, well, you know, we elected Trump to be our president. You've just made the most stupidest decision, which is to leave the EU. Wow. And, and the, the wonderful leader of the Chinese company, company who was acquiring our asset, you know, I asked him his view because it's always good to get a global perspective because we live in the bubble of Brexit or the UK. And, you know, he made a comment which was amazing. He said, well, you know, the last 12 months has proved from these two great nations, the United States and the UK, that democracy is stupid. For key decisions, you just do not give it to the citizens because are the citizens qualified to make a decision? And, you know, we can talk about all of the negatives of what the state-run economy and, and the, you know, the closed economy and the implication exists. But there's a lot of truth to be said. You know, was I qualified to make, a, to vote on the, the pluses and negatives of Brexit? You know, at the moment, there's so much negative feedback going on. You know, business leaders are saying this is going to be disastrous. And that, that could be the case. You know, 160 billion pounds of assets were, will be moved by Barclays Bank from the UK to Dublin. That was just announced yesterday. Five American banks are moving six, six, $760 billion of assets from the EU, UK into the EU. 
I mean, that's a serious amount of money that will impact the UK economy. If we flip that, you know, we look into the Europe, Italy's entering into recession, and France, for the last 10 to 12 weeks, has got writing on the streets in Paris every weekend. So you could turn around and say the long-term decision, actually, it's a really smart decision on leaving the EU as long as you have the right trade agreements in place because without, you know, to have economic union, you need political union. Uh, but am I qualified to make that decision? The answer is no, I really am not. And that, that's, that's what I think Prime Minister Cameron, when he was in charge, when he called the election, was the biggest, biggest mistake handing over to vote to citizens who made emotional decisions. And not only did they make emotional decisions, in the campaign run-up, the amount of fake news that was being generated in, you know, by both sides, but in particular the Brexiteers, was ridiculous. You know? um, and there's got to be a lesson learned that when there are major national decisions being made, you can't have fake news. It's got to be done on hard facts. On that side, uh, one of our portfolio companies we hosted um, in London to no- do a knowledge uh, transfer, and it was you know we had leaders from banks in North America, and we asked them a question. We said, you know, what's your view of what's going on in Brexit? And they just said, well, ten years ago the UK would be at the centre of discussion. Actually, on a serious point now, we don't even talk about the UK. It's emerging markets, emerging markets, high growth. So there's a well, serious you know- implication. You know, you bring it. I, I I couldn't agree strongly enough with that because the the going back to what we were saying in one of the one of the prior segments and your your comments on India, there 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 is a certain mathematical inevitability to the 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 growth patterns that are there. Where where again, forgive me. I know you you live in the UK, but you know this. You know, it's, it's, it was the end of empire a while ago. You know, that, that, that story wrapped up a long time ago. And, and maybe to a certain extent, the United States is going through that now in a way. But what, one of the questions I have for you outside of the, the collapse of these traditional democratic systems, when, when I'm always fascinated that folks focus on China. And at the same time, you have this behemoth in India that, as you were saying earlier, is is also going through the same changes, albeit maybe not as fast, maybe not as organized. But but again, you know, it just given the sheer size of the country, it's inevitable that that this thing's going to move forward. When when do you think India, or will India ever reach a point as did China in terms of its growth? Because it's always been something of a you know the the story that we're still waiting for. Yeah, Frank, I'd like to challenge you, but, but address two points. The first one is that, you know, my, my Indian heritage, I love my Indian culture, but Indians do have a hang-up about China. Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, well, you, you, you know, it's unlikely India will match the growth rates of China. And, and part of that is to do with, you know, a Chinese state-run economy. There's lots of pluses and minuses, but one is you can drive economic growth in a state-run economy you know whereas india is a democracy it's the world's largest democracy and long may it continue it's probably the most diverse culturally you know up until recently we we had the 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 person who ran the country really was sonia gandhi who was an italian catholic the prime minister was mamun singh so uh, 
a gentleman from the Sikh community, and the president was from an Islam, Islamic country. Guess what? And the, the, the major religion is Hindus. So it shows that you can have diversity in place. But coming back to the point about growth, India is still a phenomenally growth power engine. I think this year it will actually grow faster than China. But 7%, 6% is great growth rates. The Indian economy is doing an amazing amount of growth. The Prime Minister, Prime Minister Modi's policies of India first, intriguingly he launched the India first or made in India before President Trump did America first. Um, the digitization of India has also built on some of the really good policies of the Congress government. So look, the, the growth engine of India will mean by 2030, it will be the third, third largest economy in the world. By 2050, I think China and India take over America, whether that's 2050, 2060, China and India, and India in particular, will be a global powerhouse. And I think the West will really be foolish to ignore that, not just from a political threat, but on, you know, on a positive note, to start embracing the, the talent, the opportunities, the business opportunities that exist in, in India. Right? Peter Thiel invested in, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, it skipped me, but a budget hotel chain in India. Um, you know, you've got a great tech entrepreneur investing in budget hotels. The, the founder of that business, Anil, is now one of the um, richest men in India, self-made in seven years. So there is a great opportunity, and I would say to the West, yes, I'm biased because of my heritage. A cloud who were investor, and I'm on the board of Focus on India. India's a great, great growth story. Embrace it. And what do you what? what let, let I'd like to play on that ignorant um, to to play the part of the ignorant American because you you hit on something important where I, I think you are right that. America has underestimated it. Um, it's also fascinating to me too the the, the history of, of America's relationship with India because you know we weren't necessarily always friends, and and there was a point in time where we were more aligned with Pakistan relative to to um, uh, several things. How how would what would be your advice to a rational U.S. administration as they try to figure out an Asia policy? Uh, relative to, you know, which, which, you know, is there a way that they can work with both India and China, or is the U.S. going to be forced to really make a decision between one or the other? Uh, if I put my idealist hat on, you probably would say, why not have um, collaboration between the three great states of, of the world? In reality, that's not going to happen. And I have no, the U.S. will have no choice but to embrace India. Um, historically, you're right, the, the U.S. have had a stronger relationship with Pakistan, which amazes me because if you look at some of the ba major issues, the terrorism issues that have occurred, it's, you know, America's bit, you know, ally. <laughs> so you can you know, turn around and say, actually, America's funded its tax on its own home soil, by the way. It, mm -hmm. it, America has to, has to embrace India. Because what we forget in the West is that actually there's been historically a pretty strong or a very strong relationship with China and India. That is becoming tense now because you've got the battle of the superpowers between China and India as we speak as well going on. So mm -hmm. India is a great natural ally for, for America and America should embrace it. Really, really should. Well, and, and you know, it, 
and again, I'm, I'm using some very grossly simplistic analogies, but if you look at the number of U.S. Fortune 500 CEOs who are now Indian, and and you can, you know, you don't have to look very far. You could look at Google, and you can just say, okay, there, there, there's clearly, you know, th- this relationship is working. And and uh, and I, I honestly believe America has really dropped the ball on it. I, I really think that we we've we're missing this opportunity to cultivate the relationship even further. Oh, without doubt. I mean, you you Sundar at Google, Alphabet, uh, the, the ex CEO of PepsiCo, who sat you know who just recently sat down. What a great story! And you know, a female Indian leader who did a great job. Diverse shows the power of diversity. I suspect the one that's gone most unnoticed is Sathya at Microsoft. What a brilliant job he's done. Mm-hmm. And he's kept his both his heritage, his, his, the benefits of his American heritage, but also the benefits of his Indian heritage. His autobiography, if you look at it, makes reference to some of his experiences as a young boy, how cricket has influenced his leadership style at Microsoft, and how, you know, Sathya has fundamentally transformed Microsoft. I mean, it, you know, a few years ago, Microsoft really was being questioned now it is i think it's, it has overtaken apple and amazon as the um, largest ma- uh, market cap company in the u.s but but there is so many strengths between a stronger u.s indian relationship and who knows uh, maybe one of your next selected officials will be an american indian who embraces india because that, what a powerful combination if we really talk about a political macro-political area, a combination of America and India challenging China. And if we bring that back full circle to to one of your earlier points, you know, when we look at China from a state-owned standpoint and, and India being, you know, more an example of a traditional capitalist model, it is it is interesting, you know, using Satya at, at, at Microsoft as an, as an example, where the, you know, one of the stereotypes is that the Chinese management is more um, mechanical and and less creative in what they do. But you know, excellent at execution. You know, so if the strategy is laid out, they they can definitely execute. And and whereas you know the the Indian companies exhibit a little bit more of a, as we would say in New York, a little bit more of the hustle and creativity and entrepreneurship around that. I mean, one, do you see that, is that observation accurate? And, and two, to the degree that it is accurate, how much of that is coming from the fact, as you laid out earlier, like, hey, one state owned the other one's private sector in, in terms of how they're being driven? Well, I think um, historically that would have been a fantastic summary. I, I'm a huge fan of the innovation that's taking place in China. And, you know, we look at the innovation, we, we talked about, you know, take Alipay, 95% of... And, you know, which is Alibaba's financial engine, came from mobile payments. And that was 19 billion. No Western company, in, or actually no global company has ever had that amount of quantum investment received through mobile payments. So, Frank, I would turn around saying I think that perception of, you know, Chinese being ruthless, brilliant on execution will apply, but their creativity and their ability to redefine industries is incredible. Um I was asked to give commentary recently on BBC and, and a few other channels about Apple's slowdown in China. And um, everybody thought it was really to do with the slowdown in the Chinese economy, which had a part. But what they missed out was Apple's closed ecosystem versus 
the gaming industry, which was driving the real mobile growth in China. So, you know, mobile gaming is all about creativity. You are right about India. You would say that India is a nation of entrepreneurs. They have to hustle. And that hustle was in their DNA, but also was linked to, in the 80s, you know, it went to the IMF for a bailout. So, mm-hmm. you know, up, up until recent times, India had, has had challenging economic conditions for the masses, which means that there is much more of an entrepreneurial hustle. You combine that with most Indians will sacrifice holidays, expenditure for their children to have education. So the combination of well-educated children with a hustle factor just provides a great economic powerhouse. Well, on that note, my friend, I think we have covered a huge amount of ground. Thank you very, very much for your time here today. This is my privilege. Hope it's been of value for the, your, your customers. Cheers. Absolutely. Ahmed, again, thank you. And for our listeners, thank you again for tuning into Unhedged. That'll be a wrap for uh, this week's segment. Look for us online at our website and also join our community at Unhedged, where we have a link available for you to join, where you can talk with Ahmed and our other guest hosts and also receive their research and commentary. Ahmed, have a wonderful weekend. Stay warm and enjoy the snow. And you too, my friends. Take care. Bye. Take care. See you. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. And that'll do it for this week's segment of Unhedged. As always, thank you for tuning in, and we'll look forward to talking and speaking next time. Take care.